You're listening to Men of Abundance, episode 161, with Brian Falchuk. Don't just do it, do a day. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community. I have to tell you guys, I had a pretty rough day today. Um, I'm not going to get into exactly why. If you watch my Facebook Live videos or if you're in the Men of Abundance community, you will find out soon enough because I will... I've already posted in there, but I'll also post a video as to exactly what's going on. And if you're on my private Facebook page, you have an idea of what's going on. But um, I got to tell you, every time I get an opportunity to have a conversation with one of our guests and then come back and listen to the audio again, listen to the conversation and edit through it and take notes, I just get so pumped up. I get re-energized pretty much regardless of what's going on in my day. These conversations just have a way of lifting me up, and that's why I love having these conversations and then sharing them with you so that you can further share them with other people around the world. And I truly appreciate you sharing all of these episodes, and I appreciate your ratings and reviews in iTunes. Which, by the way, is another thing that absolutely pumps me up is when I get a chance to read the rating and reviews. And I read every single review in iTunes and anywhere else for that matter. For instance, I recently had a review on one of my posts on my Facebook page. And you know what? I'm going to read that one to you right now. And this comment was in response to episode 156 with Larry Hagner and the Good Dad Project. And Kimberly Ruff said, Wally Carmichael, these messages are amazing. I know they are geared for dads and men to be better parents and husbands, but all us women find benefit in learning from each message too. Thank you for this gift. And Kimberly, thank you very much for those comments. And by the way, Kimberly is my cousin. (laughs) And I truly appreciate that, Kimberly. Thank you very, very much. It's great to know that these conversations that I'm sharing with you are making an impact with men and women, and I absolutely love getting that feedback so that I know that I'm on the right track. And guys, women as well, if I'm not on the right track, if there's something in particular you want to hear about, a subject that you want to hear about, a guest that you want to hear from, then make the recommendation. Even better, make the introduction, especially if you know somebody out there who would be perfect for the show. And oh, by the way, if you happen to know a show that would like to hear my story and like to have a conversation with me, a retired army medic living a life of abundance, then let me know. I'll send you my one sheet and you can make the introduction if you know somebody uh, that is the host or has a show that I would be perfect for. And the purpose for that is so that I can share this life of abundance and this message of abundance with others who we have not reached yet. Now I'm going to introduce our featured guest, but as usual, stick around for the end of the show because I'm going to share with you my take and of course talk more about how you too can get in on the conversation. So Brian Felchuk has an amazing story. He went from being obese and depressed to running marathons. He's faced nearly losing his wife to illness while their young son watched. He became vegan in just one day. 
He got his master's degree at a top school and rose to a senior executive position in a successful business. He's transformed his life and developed an approach to help others do the same that he teaches in his best-selling book, Do a Day. And he's here today to share that philosophy with you. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Brian Falchuk. Brian, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Wally. Thank you so much for having me on. It really is my pleasure. Uh, I was looking into what you got going on. I really dig it, and we're going to get into that here in just a minute. But where are you at in the world? Um, I am safely in my basement in the uh, outskirts of Boston, not under the uh, the storms that are going on down south, which is I'm, I'm thankful for. Some terrible stuff going on right now. Yeah, there is, man. And you you were pretty close while Austin isn't super close to Houston. But <clears throat> with everything going on down there in that area, yeah. we're due, at the time of this recording, we are due to fly next week, Wednesday, into Tampa. <laughs> so, you know, let's see how that works out. Um, yeah. I'm not so sure at this point, but, um, you know, our our prayers and, and everything, best wishes go out to everybody out there in that region because, you know, as you know, a lot of stuff coming through right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know uh, if, if you would know this, but my day job is I run claims for an insurance company. So obviously, um, getting a pretty firsthand view of just a, a lot of a lot of difficult times people are going through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is what we're here for as an industry. And me personally, I try to help people get through challenges. So there's some challenges out there right now. Ooh, wow, I did not know that. And that is one heck of a challenge for sure. That's crazy, man. So as you may know, we like to get into right into the show right up front. I like to start out with an attitude of gratitude. And as you alluded to right now, I'm sure you've got a lot to be grateful for, as many of us do. What do you have to be grateful for today? Uh, today, it's it's topical, but um, I'm really grateful that I work with a group of people who are committed to helping people get through things. You know, for me, um, you know, obviously we'll, we'll get into my book and all that, but it's the whole thing is focused on helping people get through challenges in life. And I have a, an amazing team at work that all they're doing is asking about how can we prepare to help these people that are, you know, going to need it. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that attitude. I'm grateful in my attitude for the attitude of those around me who are just focused on helping people. And that's, uh, that's a powerful thing. Yeah, you know, and a lot of this show and a lot of my life is really focused around people who are helping people. And I'll be quite frank with you. Um, I've, I've had some, you know, good experiences and some not so good experiences with insurance companies in my life. And when I hear what you just said, and I never really think about the human side of what you do when you when you put it into that perspective it really does shed a lot of light and put the human side of it well but ultimately your heart is in the right place and you want to help people and there's so many people around the world that help people in many different ways it really is cool that you can that you're able to do that because yeah that is very very important at this point in time for a lot of those people it should be that way and i'm thankful for it because unfortunately you know those tougher experiences you've had that's what a lot of people have had and that's what i think people have come to expect of us and um i don't work at that kind of company which i'm thankful for i I don't think i could Mm -hmm. you know this is what we're here for 
we're here to help people when things go wrong, not to add to what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. So before we got started here in the show, as we mentioned, I went through your bio. I talked more about what you do. But here on Men of Abundance, we really like to get to know the person behind the abundance. And we'll get into your book. And the reason why I like talking to so many folks like yourself who have written these books is because of the journey that took you to that point. To One, everything that happened in your life. And then to all come together and say, you know what? Either somebody told you you should write a book or you just felt compelled to put it down in writing and turn it into a book. But it's everything before that. And we're going to get into a lot of that stuff. But at this point, let's get a little bit personal. Let's find out a little bit more about who Brian is. And then we'll kind of work up to the book and and your story now and that kick in the gut moment. Yeah. Um, So who am I? I, uh, not to go way too far back in time, but... Just for that background, because it's really um, it's formative for who I became as a person. But I was uh, the fourth of four kids. I was the marriage saver baby who did not save the marriage. So my parents split up when I was when I was young. Um, you know, hey, it's like half the country has experienced that. So it's nothing different there. Um, but it had an impact, and I was like four when things started to come apart, and maybe five, six when it got more official. Um, but I, you know, as a little kid, you, you just kind of want one thing, and that's to know that you're safe and secure, and that was that was getting challenged. And, of course, being that young, you don't really understand what you're feeling and how to deal with it. And my parents were obviously very caught up in what was going on in their marriage, and, you know, there were three other kids in the house, so they didn't necessarily just stop everything and focus on my emotional needs, obviously. So um, I turned to someone or something that would and that was food so you know food was always there it always felt good at least in the moment Uh, it wasn't judging me it wasn't yelling it wasn't fighting it wasn't moving out Um, so the more I turned to food the more I turned to food it just became this uh, vicious cycle and so I started to put on weight pretty quickly and and I got to a place of obesity very early in age and that stuck with me through high school um, I got to be about a hundred pounds overweight. I have to say about, cause I actually stopped weighing myself at a certain point. Cause I just couldn't, I couldn't face it. Um, and it was really, it wasn't about eating too much and exercising too little. Those were symptoms. The root cro- cause was that depression, that anxiety, um, that feeling of, of a lack of security. And, um, I was really lucky to have a guy in high school who ran our PE program who just really cared. And he showed me how to teach myself about wellness. So he gave me tools and he gave me a different attitude towards my physical performance. You know, it had always been like, you're too slow, you're too fat, you're too lazy, you're not good at this, you're uncoordinated. And so I was always afraid to engage because I knew I was going to get judged. And he just wiped all that away i mean it was so even down to the simple thing of he never used the word bad he would say something wasn't good but he wouldn't say it was bad it was like it's minor but then you only hear positive words you know and so it's just like it set up this atmosphere to for me to discover my own wellness and to stop feeling so uncomfortable with things so that was a piece of the the source of the depression Uh, and so by the end of high school i had lost pretty much all the weight, um, I, I guess all the weight, I, I was fit, uh, and that's great, and I was a different person, but not quite enough, 
And so like a lot of people, I put weight back on in my 20s, you know, after college, responsibility happens, um, you start going out and, you know, alcohol comes into the picture and that's just a ton of calories. So bit by bit, I, I put weight back on. Now, I never really looked obese again. I always just say I looked American. Like, yeah. I just looked like everybody else. But the reality is I got up to, at my max, 222, which was about 35, 40 pounds from how big I had been at my biggest before. Um, and most importantly, more so than the weight, I was depressed again, really unhappy in life. And this is where my pivotal moment really comes in because I was 32. I had a two and a half year old son and um, I had a wife who had suddenly become extremely sick. No one could figure out what was going on. We've come to find out she has a chronic illness that at that point in time, uh, she had wasted away and was bedridden and the doctors had basically just given up. And so I was looking at losing my wife, being a single dad. And, you know, this little boy was watching it all unfold. And that's the moment when I broke. Um, it was June 30th, 2011. My wife was in bed because that's basically the only place she could be. And my son was looking on at her and I was standing behind him looking at both of them and just being like, what, you know, what is going on in my life? What have I done? And what am I not doing? And this poor little boy is watching his mother die and his father's just not there for him. He's, you know, I, I'm, I, he's essentially, he's watching his mother die and he's just watching his father die just at a slower rate. And that is totally unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And I woke up the next morning, July 1st, you know, I, I know the exact dates and what I was wearing. I mean, I can picture all of it because it was so clear to me. I woke up that next morning with a completely different sense of purpose. And it was tied around my role as his father, what that means to who I want to be, how I want to feel about myself. And that has driven me since then to a, a number of things. But most importantly, that sense of like being lost and depressed, that's not who I am anymore. And that had defined too much of my life up until that date. Well, yeah, you unfolded a lot of information right there and a lot of emotion and i know there's several guys out there listening to this and definitely in that same situation that you were in back then number one thanks for sharing that seriously um yeah and you know and personally i i've been in the health and fitness industry and i'm not as active in it today as i used to be but for a good six seven years i was in the health and fitness industry and and you know being in the military for a long time you expect everybody in the military to be completely fit and it's just you know not true because all these guys have very similar situations to what you just explained and i bring that up because in my journey of going through the health and fitness industry i've never been that obese person i've never been overweight and i'm right now i'm a little you know, i wouldn't say i'm overweight but i'm not as in shape as i was years ago because of my ailments and stuff but um, I learned along the way because I used to be that guy when I saw a fat person, I would fat bash, at least in my mind. I'm not mm -hmm. the type of person to really call out people, not as much. I, I am today, but in a different way. But I wouldn't be that guy to say, you know, hey, you're fat because you're lazy and you just don't give a shit and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. As going through that journey, I realized all the different personalities and all the different reasons. And there are many different reasons why people get out of shape, their health declines. And it's not just about weight. It's about many other things because there are very, there are thin, very unhealthy people uh, walking around. 
Yeah. And I found all yeah, this out. Skinny fat. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I and I learned all this along the way, and I became much more empathetic to the situations, and really realized what was that. There's a much deeper reason for people being treating their bodies so poorly. Uh, and one is education, and others is depression, and and many other you know things that were built up from the past. But then to also be standing there and watching your little guy, and I know I got an eight-year-old and you know a twenty-two and an eighteen-year-old as well. But my my eight-year-old I've been with more than the other two because of my prior occupation being gone all the time, and I couldn't imagine standing behind. I just I just get emotional thinking about it right now, standing behind him in that same situation. And it took a very, very drastic event in your life to make you finally click and change. And of course you had a coach, you had a mentor, you had somebody in school who understood what was going on a little bit better and was able to help you through that. So man, just so much going on there that you just unfolded. Yeah. No. And I realized, uh, I just kind of went off and, and shared it all all at once, and it's a lot to take in. But, um, you know, it's interesting with, with fat bashing or fat shaming, the things that people latch on to when they pass that judgment, and you can extend this really to any kind of bashing or shaming or judgment, they're all surface level or um, what I would call symptom type things. They're not the actual reason. So you're coming down on someone for the outcome of that underlying reason. And as a society, we are very symptom focused. You know, the the whole pharmaceutical industry, it's about like treat what you're feeling right now. It's not really about curing things because that that doesn't pay as well. Like if you can treat a symptom for the rest of someone's life, there's much more money in that than just curing it and being done. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when we pass judgment of people, oh, you're lazy. Well, yeah, they are lazy, but that's not why they're fat. They're fat because they're also lazy those are those are driven by the same thing, and that's whatever is actually happening under the surface. Mm. You know, maybe it's a, a physical condition. You know, maybe they have some sort of a handicap that doesn't allow them to exercise in the same way that you might be able to. Maybe there's childhood abuse. You know, there's all these different things, and we look at people all day long, and all we do is pass judgment without that compassion of like maybe they've gone through something, and what I'm seeing is is the outpouring of that and not the thing itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I admittedly still, some of that stuff still comes up in my mind when I'm having conversations with people and they contact me and say, hey, well, you know, I want to, you know, get healthy, lose some weight, you know, whatever the case may be. And I start sharing what I know, you know, and I can only Mm -hmm. share what I know. And what I know Mm -hmm. has worked not just for myself, but for other people. And again, reminding myself, I've never really been in an overweight situation, but I have been in an out of shape situation. And people are like, well, I said, look, these are some things you can do. And they're like, well, I can't do that because of this issue that I have. And I'm like, look, I have a similar issue. I can hardly run anymore. I used to love running. But Mm -hmm. I can swim or I can do this. You're just making excuses. You know, but I, I, I have to step back in myself and really evaluate the situation and get a little bit deeper into what's really going on and have that conversation and then ultimately we come to, you know, an agreement and then, you know, hopefully they'll follow through with it. But there's there's much deeper things to changing habits and the whole that's a whole different conversation, which I'm studying very in depth over the years. And I really enjoy that conversation. But that's not what we're here for. But um, so out of everything that you just shared and 
I personally could pick out a couple kick in the gut moments out of what you just shared. Um, mm. But I don't want to speak for you. Are any of those really a kick in the gut moment? And if so, can you go a little bit deeper into what you were feeling at that point in time and really make us feel that? Yeah. So the the real moment is, uh, you know, the background ones from my childhood and the divorce, but I wasn't aware enough to call it one of those moments. Of course, that was very definitional. But for me, the moment that I was aware of was that moment in, in June 2011. And um, that's why I say I can picture exactly, you know, the look of the room, the lighting, what my son was wearing, what I was wearing, the way the sheets were bunched up around my wife. I mean, all of that. Um, I was feeling a few things. One, I was feeling really scared um, because I was the only one working. And so, you know, all the finances rested on me. Um, I was... You know, everyone who's who's married, eventually one of you is going to lose your spouse. You know, if, if you don't split up, you're going to get at some point where one of you passes away. And maybe it happens at the exact same moment, but generally we face losing each other. You don't usually face that when you're just starting out and when you're, you know, in your early 30s and you have your first child. So I was facing something that, I mean, the doctors were telling us, like, this is this is where we're at. Um, so I was facing something really profound that I certainly had not been prepared for, hadn't contemplated. And I mean, I, I had just sort of grown up feeling like whatever illness, like you just get through it, you know, it, it'll be okay. So I hadn't really paused to be like, hang on a second. She may not make it. And what we're being told now is like, actually she's not going to make it and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm. Um, so that, I mean, you know, put yourself in those shoes, little kid to take care of, you're going to be alone. How am I going to do this? You know, it's not like, not that it's okay if he's a teenager, but it's not like he's 17 and I can get him his own car and he can take himself to school. And, you know, he, he's a little, he's not even three years old. You know, it's like, what am I going to do? And how am I going to deal with the emotional impact on him? Because I, I know some people who have lost kids really early in life. Uh, sorry, lost their parents really early in life as a kid. And it's very clearly shaped them. And so I start thinking about what is going to happen to my child. And how is he going to be in life? And is he going to be overwhelmed by anxiety? And, you know, just all of that. Um, and it's all hitting me all at once. So... I was really just floored by it. And I think for me, that's, that's why it was such a moment of clarity is this wasn't just like a nagging, like, Oh, you know, that sucks and move on. Like, I remember when I was younger and, and dealing with my weight, I would have these little pep talks with myself every morning. Like today, I'm going to like, this is it. I'm not going to have dessert at lunch and I'm not going to overeat. And I'm not going to this, I'm not going to that. And, you know, give myself an hour. I was back off the wagon. Like that didn't work. Cause it was like, I call it like a hair growing problem. You know, you wake up and your hair is a little bit longer, but you never notice it. So it's just like, it's there, it's nagging at you. It's not really kicking you in the face or anything. This was different. There was no avoiding this. Um, so that the profound and powerful nature of what I was facing was what did it for me. And it luckily my son was there at that moment, so my eyes were on him, and it just brought this clarity of like, okay, this boy needs me, and I'm not there, and what does being there mean? 
Yeah, so, um, you know, you talk a little bit about that enough is enough moment where you, you mentioned it the next morning, you just clicked and changed. I mean, obviously, that was a very significant emotional event that, that was there to allow you to do that, to kind of give you that push to do that. And really what you end up doing is, guys, when, you, when you're thinking about something like this and you want to make a drastic change, it's all your, your habits and everything that you do is all based on who you are at, at your core, who you are as a person. If you're poor, then you know you identify as being poor. And even if you come into some money, like people do with the lottery and many other various vocations that they come into a lot of money really quickly, they end up being poor um, very shortly thereafter just because that's their identity, that's who they are. Uh, and what you have to do is you change who your being is not really change who your being is you have to redefine yourself in that mm -hmm. manner and that's basically what you did brian and i'd like for you to talk a little bit about that enough is enough moment when you clicked and literally you made a lot of changes in one day yeah and i so there's a big difference here uh and and i think this is what you're getting at is I didn't just have that emotional experience and I'm like, oh, great, everything's fine and now I'm good. Mm -hmm. You know, now I'm a, a different person and I don't need to worry. It, it's been work. So I don't want anyone to think like, oh, and then he had it so easy or I haven't had that like life flash before my eyes kind of moment so I can't change. And the reality is there is not a single person who I've been coaching or mentoring who has had a, you know, like someone sticks a gun in your face or a loved one gets killed or, you know, you jump out of a plane or like any of that. Um, it's all about an introspective journey and challenging yourself and facing who you really are. So we can all get there. It's a question of how quickly and, and whether it's forced upon you or whether you choose to do it. But either way, you don't just come to the realization and then you're fine and you're done. So I started the next day with that motivation and that clarity and I committed myself to, look, if, if this is how I really feel, then I'm going to keep this front and center in my life and I'm going to reflect on this every day. And this is going to be the heart of the decisions that I make. And I'm consciously kept it that way. And that's why I've been able to figure out, like, the way I've done things in a day is, is not by just, like, gritting my teeth and doing it. Um, it's, not a, it's not a just do it Nike kind of thing. It's actually a lot deeper than that. And this is ultimately what the book is about, is once you have that motivation, once you have that clarity on your purpose and you set it towards a goal then the, the title of the book is do a day and that's the whole point is like you're just doing today it doesn't matter if you screwed up yesterday and it doesn't matter how much is yet to fall on you tomorrow good or bad because none of those things is happening right now so who cares what choices you made or didn't make yesterday you can still make a better one today you know right now with the storm you know we're just coming out of hurricane harvey happening but we're now we're dealing with with the devastation from it and then we've got irma coming in and so for me and my team, it's like you, you get paralyzed. I mean, this is billions and billions of dollars of, of losses, lives, either your actual life or your the life that you're living destroyed. And it's really crushing. And I, it, you know, for my team that, that's trying to help, it's the amount of work and the, um, the devastation and the sorrow that you're witnessing is really crushing. And if you try to think about all of it all at once, you stop. But we're not handling every claim. We're not trying to help every person in this very moment. We're handling one at a time, and you just need to get this person to a better place. You know, for me, I had 100 pounds to lose. I didn't lose 100 pounds all at once. 
I didn't wake up one morning and lose have to lose 100 pounds. I woke up one morning and had to make a series of choices right here, right now, every single choice actively, consciously in support of my goal. And that's a very different approach. And that doesn't, like, who's going to wake up and just be like, all right, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. It's too much. You don't even start. And what does that even mean? Like, how do you lose 100 pounds? You don't. You do some things right here and right now that are part of that path. And that's what it takes. So I do that on a daily basis without the weight of mistakes or things I've had to endure yesterday, you know, yesterday being figurative for the past. And also without that anticipation or fear of what's still to come, because I don't have to deal with that right now. I just have to do things that put me in a better position to deal with it whenever it comes. That's very powerful. Very, very powerful. I'm thinking of a quote um, that I've heard. I think Tony Robbins was one of the first ones to say this. Maybe he coined it. I don't know, but I've heard it several times since then. Is that most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in five years. And it's the same thing breaking it down. They overestimate what they can do in a day by saying, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to lose 100 pounds and they don't lose an ounce. And you can put the same thing on your, like you said, your team, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to help 10 people, you know, feel a little bit better about their situation by, you know, helping them with their claim. And you only get through two. And you just, if you start off like that, it's a great goal. It's a great plan. But if you don't meet it, then, and and I'm not saying to not to, not to um, have lofty goals, but be realistic about it and just handle what you can handle at that point in time and be good with what you accomplished, no matter how small the task is, and then move on to another day and move on to yeah. another client and move on to your next, you know, your next um, checkpoint or your next, um, I'm thinking of a different term, um, but just move on. Just be okay with where you're at and move on Yeah, and keep going. And- you know, there's there's nuances in all that. So we do need to set lofty goals. We need to set goals that drive us. So when I talk about weight loss, if your goal is to lose three pounds, not like today, but period, really? Like, is that actually, are you going to act mm-hmm. any differently? Because it's such an irrelevant amount of weight. Yeah, that's water loss. That like, yeah, like who cares? And, and how do you, how are you going to make the choice to be like, oh, I can have this piece of cake because I only have three pounds to lose. Or you go overboard and you do things that are absurd relative to three pounds. So that's not a meaningful drive you kind of go. Now, that doesn't mean like I I got down into the 160s during marathon training because as a vegan, uh, it can be hard to take in enough calories, especially on those long run days where I need like 12,000 calories and I get to about five and I just can't eat anymore without, you know, throwing it all up. Sorry. (laughs) That's just the reality of it. So, you know, my weight got down below where it should have been. And so I'm not going to be like, okay, I'm like 10 pounds underweight. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. Like that's absurd. That hasn't, you know, it's going to be relevant to your situation, but it needs to push you. And so obviously it just means I didn't have a weight loss goal because that's not relevant. But at the same time, you know, as it pushes you, it shouldn't be so absurd that it actually ends up demoralizing you. And put weight loss aside for a minute, uh, going back a few years, I was running a team at a, a different insurance company and we had put in a, a really aggressive goal and the powers that be above us doubled it because we had grown twice as much last year. And it's like, well, we were half the size last year. And, you know, it's harder to grow that, like to double your business as you get bigger. 
you can still grow meaningfully. We were still going to grow by more dollars, but not percentage. And they really put no thought into it. They just doubled it. And then they handed that down. And then the Great Recession hit. Now, could we have hit that number? Absolutely. But in doing it, we would have become so unprofitable that the business would have shut down. So what's the point of that? And so instead, you know, my team was aiming for profit, which means we get to stay in business and growing. But they were so fixated on how they were failing against the, the watermark that had been set for them that there was just this state of depression every day. You know, people come in and you see it on their face and they're beaten down and they feel like failures. And I'm like, guys, let's set that aside. Look how much we've grown since last year. Let's look at what our profit is because ultimately that is why we're in business. It's not just to to bring in revenue. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, we're 40% behind budget. It wasn't like one or two. It was meaningfully behind where we were, quote unquote, supposed to be. That's a really bad goal. Because that goal is is not grounded in reality. It's not even like a stretch. It's not the art of the possible if you push yourself. It has no basis in reality. And it was actually a dangerous goal. It would be like me setting a 50-pound weight loss goal when I was already 10 pounds underweight. I can get there, but it means I'll be dead. So it's like, well, what's the point of that, you know? Right. So we, we have to balance both sides of that coin. But once you have that stretch goal, you know, call it the five-year and that one-year versus five-year Tony Robbins quote you're talking about, then you have to set your markers along the way. So I, I liken this to people who run is, you know, sometimes you get you get in your run and you're really tired and you might have a mile, two miles, whatever left. And you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Well, you're not running the remaining, call it two miles right now. You've got time to do that. So let's pick an intermediate goal. Let's Runners, a lot of times we'll pick like a, a street sign or a park bench or a end of a block or a car that's parked off in the distance I'm just going to run to that. And you don't think about, I mean, this is do a day in practice. You don't think about how much more you do or don't have to do because you're just running to that car or that street sign. And just before you get there, you pick the next point. So you keep yourself going in the success of achievement. As I always tell people, success begets success. You know, one win invariably will lead you to the next if you allow it to be a positive so if you sit there and like, oh, I only made it to that street sign. I'm screwed. I got so much. No, like that's a negative view. You're looking at things defeatistly. You're, you're looking at, you know, non-achievement. Be like, I made it. And now I'm going to go for the next one. So you add up those successive wins and you win your way to your ultimate goal, whether it's so much weight over such a period of time, whatever it might be. Yeah, I really dig that, and I'm kind of laughing inside because that's exactly a strategy I used to use when I ran quite a bit. Another thing I used to do when I was running was um, I would never run a distance, like like say around a block. I'm going to run around a block eight times. Now, I would run out. If I want to run four miles, I'm going to run out two miles and take it a little bit further that way I know I have to run back at least two miles. Got to get home. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, all that kinds was of my strategies. strategy for me. Yeah. But you know, I remember that telephone pole to car to, yep. I'm just going to go to that next. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, I even do this with people. Um, I'm also a certified personal trainer. I don't generally go and train people, but I do give, you know, some of the people I'm coaching around their wellness, I will talk about some workout routines. One of the tricks I give people if it's like, you know, I have to do 30 push-ups, oh my God, I can't do that, that sounds like so much. So when you're counting, don't count one to 30. Some people do well counting down, because it's like, mm -hmm. 
you know, you're getting smaller and smaller. It's it, instead of it building, it, it's just a mental trick. And for other people, I say, don't count one to 30, count one, 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 two, 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 three. Then you're only going to 10. It's such a stupid little thing that people are like that doesn't help. You'd be surprised. It does. Put it into action. It's like your brain, your brain can be tricked sometimes and you focus on something smaller that sounds more achievable, but Hey, you just got to your big goal without even realizing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it absolutely works. There's no doubt about it. All those little tricks, they work, they work for me and they've worked for other people that I've uh, assisted as well. So, you know, we're, I want to get into the good news story real quick. And I, and I want to talk about how you came up with the name of your book. Cause I'm always intrigued by that. And this one's yeah. really cool, really cool. I'm sure there's a story behind it and you already told some of it and it really makes sense. But before we do that, there's something that I'm very interested in. And that is that you being vegan and becoming vegan, as you said in the bio, basically made that decision in a day. I don't know if that was an overnight success or how that worked out because I personally did, I did a program where I was vegan for 21 days yeah. and I'm a carnivore dude. I mean, I love my meat and my steak and all this stuff, but in that 21 days and after, and I had headaches at the very beginning and stuff and ailments and my body was aching but after that 21 days that was the most amazing i had ever felt in my entire life and that's when i realized that meat just tears our bodies up and i did a lot of research along the way in the in the whole process of what meat does to us and how over the years meat can be directly traced to cancer in many, in many, not just in the United States, in China, all over the world, and over centuries. The China study. Yeah, the, the China whole thing study. In the China Absolutely, study. and that's what I ended Cancer up, and heart disease. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little, tell us a little bit about that and how that process is working out for you, and what kind of vegan are you? Because I know there's different types yeah. of vegans as well. I'm not real versed on it, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. So first of all, I'm going to cheat and answer <clears throat> the other question you asked too about naming the book because it's all one story. Um, so I have a man crush and I'll just put that out there. My wife thinks I'm going to jump off a bridge. If this guy does it, she might be right. Um, there's a guy named Rich Roll who's a vegan ultra endurance athlete who is just one of the most inspiring people in the world. Um, she foolishly got me, uh, his autobiography called finding ultra as a holiday present a few years ago. So I can blame her for this, but I had read I had read some other vegan ultra endurance athletes. There's a whole community of them, like these ultra marathoners who are vegans, and they talk about you know one of them is this great book called Eat and Run by a guy named Scott Jurek. So it's about his his life story and becoming a runner and all that. And he's got recipes and tries to you know bring you into the vegan space without he's he's not a kick you in the face kind of person. It's very soft. Um, I read it, it was fine. You know I liked the book, but I wasn't like I'm going to go be vegan. I thought about it. But I kept getting stuck on like I was eating um, I was eating eggs every morning for breakfast. I'd make like a frittata. It was awesome. And, you know, I'm like, my protein's really important. I'm gonna have eggs and I've got my casein and whey mixture that I'm having as a protein shake, and that's fueling my workouts. And you know, I was very focused on needing that protein. And I'm like, how am I gonna make this work? And I travel for work. So what happens when, you know, we're at a steak place and what I'm going to have, you know, like, or I'm driving on a road trip for work and it's only gas stations and fast food. Like, what am I supposed to eat? So this just wouldn't work for me. It's too hard. So I'm reading Rich Roll's book and he's talking about his transformation because he used to be a big time carnivore. He's an entertainment lawyer. He's actually a recovering alcoholic. Um, 
he uh right before his 40th birthday like the night before he he basically collapsed on the stairs after eating a bunch of uh cheeseburgers like four of them and uh couldn't breathe and he's just out of shape and so that was his moment um so you know i'm reading his book and he just kind of calls it out he's like why wouldn't you do this like why why are you making excuses just try it and i um it was like eight at night or something so i had no real time to plan for it. i was just like you know what i'll do it tomorrow because and I said this out loud, and this is when the book got named, even though there was no book in my mind yet. I was like, I can do a day. So I was like, that's when the term mm-hmm. came out. It's like because I realized you can do anything for a day. Because mm-hmm. I'd been sitting here making all these excuses. You know, what about my son's birthday party, and he'll want me to have a piece of cake with him, and I don't want to be like, no, I'm not going to do that with you. You know, that's part of enjoying his celebration with him. Um, you know, or like the breakfast or the work dinners. I'm like. I can figure out breakfast tomorrow and there's nothing else happening. It's not my son's birthday. I'm not going on a business trip. I'm not going to be stuck on the side of a highway by a McDonald's. So I can do a day. And I woke up and I made breakfast work somehow, despite all of my fears, I was able to figure something out in the morning and it was just fine. And I got through the day. And what I realized is actually it's so much easier than how I had been eating because I was doing a slow carb diet, and you get to read the heck out of every ingredient, and you get down the list, and it's like, oh shoot, there's a carrot in here, and you can't eat carrots because they're too sugary, so that's out. Or you know, there's like whey in it, or I don't know, whatever. There's something in it that's not on the diet, and so you, you get to scrutinize everything, and it was exhausting. And I've been doing that for two and a half years, so I was just like, oh, it's so easy. If you're eating whole foods, non-processed stuff, you can kind of tell if there's a hunk of steak sitting in it. So it's like you just look at it and you're like, yeah, I can't eat that. Yeah. And I couldn't eat fruit on the slow-carb diet. I love fruit. And so, like, yeah. I had I had a peach or something that day, and I was like, oh, that was awesome. And it was just so freeing and nice. I was like, you know what? I'll do another day. And it'll be three years in January just by that. Like, I've never been like, this is how it is, and I'm preachy about it, and I won't. Like, I basically, I don't care. And that's actually the way I've been able to do it. I have no pressure around it. Have I had cake at my son's birthday? Yes. So I'm 100% vegan, like 98, 99% of the time. And that's because I've allowed myself situations where those moments that I was using as my excuse not to do it, I've been like, you know what? If I do it, if I don't follow the vegan diet in that exact moment, that's okay. And that doesn't mean that I've thrown everything away and I'll never do it again. It just means, okay, I did that. Here's my reasons for it. I got to look at that. Was that a good choice or a bad choice? And then what do I do going forward? So I don't use I don't use that as an excuse to fall off the wagon. Um, you said what kind of vegan is it's a spectrum right like diet's a spectrum vegetarian is is someone who doesn't eat meat but will eat eggs and uh, dairy you've got vegetarians who eat fish it's a pescatarian mm-hmm. so you eat like you know seafood but you won't have essentially like land or air-based meat um a vegan is someone who has no animal products whatsoever and if you really get true about that it means you know no eggs no dairy no meat whether it's seafood or beef or chicken or pork or whatever but then you also don't have anything produced by an animal's body so that's where the dairy piece comes in but that means you don't eat um honey you can't have anything with gelatin in it because that's made from cow bone um you shouldn't be wearing leather uh i have some tattoos and i got uh, i was going to get a color put into them and someone 
who was looking out for me was like, hey, that's made from like some kind of uh, shell, like seafood shell ground up or something. I, I don't know exactly, but it's made from some sea creature. And I was like, okay, so that's technically not vegan. So if you really start to expand with it, then it's not just what you're putting in your body. It's what you're supporting in the world. You know, obviously you wouldn't wear fur if you were really true about it. Um, But so I, you know, we went to Disney World. I had waffles with my son with ears on them, you know, the shape of of Mm -hmm. Mickey's head because I wanted to have that joy with him and I didn't judge myself for it. So that's that's where my veganism comes in. And you know what? I ran a marathon as a vegan. Um, and somehow I lived. You know, like I survived that. Um, it's not it's not all the things that people are like, oh, but you have to have this, or you you know, you need red meat to survive, or you need chicken, or you need animal protein. You actually don't. And I do feel better, and my numbers at my physical are off the charts amazing. Whereas there was always something I needed to work on before. And I think the coolest part of the whole thing is that this is the first time in my life when there is nothing about physical fitness or exercise that has to do with weight management. So I exercise because I actually enjoy it, which I didn't even get to realize before because it was always about not being fat again. And that's where like exercise is sort of a punishment. I don't, I don't have that anymore. I run because I love it. Actually, I don't run right now because I got a torn meniscus, but mm. that will resolve. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's for the meditation, it's for the release, it's for the endorphins, the enjoyment. It's not because, oh God, if I don't do this, I'm going to get fat again. Yeah, that was something I, I do miss because I, my knees just don't allow me to run as much anymore. And I guess I could do surgery, but I just choose not to at this point. But, you know, another myth about vegans, and thanks for sharing all that information with us. I think it's very valuable for guys to get a better understanding of. That way they can make an educated decision rather than just on emotions or some crap that they heard, you know, their uncle talk about, about a certain particular group of people and how they eat or whatever. But another thing that I'd always heard is that vegans can't put on muscle and I know that's not true because I know uh, or I follow a guy Darren Orlean uh and uh, he hangs out oh, yeah. with um you know he's that dude's huge he he's yeah. been vegan since he was in college and played football I mean yep. that, that dude's beastie man and um you know I follow a lot of what he does as far as nutrition and everything man that's great stuff man I really appreciate that this you know we're at the point of the show where we're going to pay it forward you ready to do that Brian I'm ready. Outstanding. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. So first thing is you have to figure out your motivation. And what I would tell people is, is a whole bunch of questions I lay out in the book to help you with that. But the one boil it down kind of question is what will you always care about no matter what? And the one thing I'd say is when you come up with an answer, you probably haven't hit the 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 real underlying root thing yet so ask yourself why and keep doing that at least five times till you get down to that nitty-gritty like what's actually going on deep within you that you really really care about excellent what daily habits make up the biggest impact in your life uh there's two core things that i make sure i do every day in some way shape or form one is meditation and the other is some kind of physical activity. What are you reading or listening to today that you'd recommend to our abundant leaders and why? Yeah, so I, um, I'm i consuming myself with Buddhist texts right now and not like old Buddhist texts, uh, you know, like thousands of years old, but 
things that are introducing me to the philosophies behind it and the ways of looking at things. And that's been unbelievably transformative for me. So there's one book that I tend to recommend to people because it's what got me started on it and I felt the most profound change from. And that's a book called Open Heart, Clear Mind by uh, a, a woman who's a Buddhist monk uh, named Thubdin Chodron. If you search for Open Heart, Clear Mind, you'll find it rather than trying to spell her name. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's unbelievable. And if you just open yourself, you know, put religion aside, because it's not just about being a religion. It's actually compatible with all religions. Um, the philosophies, the self-compassion and the compassion for the world and the way that gets you to look out is unreal. And that's actually forming the basis of my second book. But that's yet to come. Excellent. Yeah, we'll have that linked up. I'll look that up and I'll have all that linked up in the show notes at menofabundance.com. What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Self-compassion. So the one thing that I have found consistently with everyone that I work with is the, the negativity with which we see ourselves. It's there every day, constantly putting ourselves down, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. Sometimes we do it jokingly, but that's actually covering up how we, we really feel, um, and that needs to stop because you can't be there for others if you're not there for yourself. You can't be uh, a compassionate person with abundance in your life, surrounded by people who want to be with you and support you, if you can't even be that way with you. So you, you have to start with knocking off all the negative talk about all the things you can't do because we actually achieve a great deal and we're quite capable if we allow ourselves to be. Man, that is powerful, very powerful, very deep. And guys, I say it all the time, you're always, always talking to yourself, whether you believe it or not. And chances are you're talking to yourself in a negative manner. You need to train yourself to talk to yourself positively. Those little things that Brian and I just talked about, those little mind tricks, you got to trick your mind if that's what, that's what you want to call it. But change the words that you tell yourself, whether out loud or in your mind. And your life will definitely change. Uh, you'll see much. You'll see everything around you that's already there. Yeah. So, what does living a life of abundance mean to you, Brian? It's it's what I've been doing since this book came out, and that's been just hustling to get this message out to as many people as possible. The whole reason I wrote the book was not to sell the book; it's to get the message that I've been using in my coaching and mentoring work into as many hands as possible because even if I did that 24-7, I couldn't coach or mentor enough people. So it's about putting that out in the world. You know, it's a pay-it-forward, compassion kind of approach. I just want to help people. And I am so unbelievably rewarded hearing back from people who've read the book or heard me on a podcast or, uh, you know, radio show or whatever who were like, this, this impacted me. This helped me through something that I've been struggling to understand or I've been dealing with this challenge and I didn't know what to do about it and you've inspired me to, to figure myself out. That's abundance to me. Is It's not stuff and things. It's that feeling. It's having an impact on the world and, and I'm really, really blessed that it's working out that way. Absolutely. I love it. So we're going to close this up, Brian, but before we do, what do we not talk about that you'd like to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation? I think we've we've hit the big things, you know, if we didn't touch on that self-compassion point, 
I mean, you heard how quickly I came back with that answer. I don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. That's a, a strong basis. So I, I think we've hit the the message that I wanted to share out. And I just invite people connect with me. I put this stuff out there. Like I said, I don't care about selling the book. I just want to spread the, the knowledge of it. So, you know, you can just head to doadaybook.com. I've got everything linked up there, but I'm on social media at do a day book on Twitter and Instagram, but also personally, I'm at, at new body, N E W B O D I. Um, and you can also find me at Inc magazine. I have a weekly column there on their website. Uh, and I put out, it's all inspired by the books. So you get a lot of that inspiration, that knowledge. Um, so yeah, I just welcome people, you know, take, take the knowledge in, but please question yourself, look within yourself. That's the reason why I put this stuff out there. Perfect. Absolutely. Thanks. And we'll, again, we'll have all that linked up in the show notes, guys. Don't have to worry about writing all that stuff down. Brian, listen, man, I truly dig what you got going on. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your knowledge and your wisdom. And I just want to wish my best for you, your family, and all of the people you and your team are going to be touching over the next months and years potentially as well. So thanks a lot for everything you do, brother. Thank you so much. You too, man. All right, guys. So, you know, I'm not going to blow smoke. You know, it's not easy to make a drastic change in your life. It is a simple process, but it's not always easy. And in my experience, the best way to do that is one to number one, make a decision, but it can't stop there. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but there's a story about five frogs that are sitting on a rock and four decide to jump in. How many frogs are left on the rock? I'm not going to let you wait for it. I'm going to tell you the answer. If you don't already know the answer, the answer is there's still five frogs on the rock. The reason why the four that made the decision did nothing with the decision. All they did was make a decision. They didn't take action. So you got to pull the trigger. You have to take action. The only way that you're going to improve your life is through action. Now, you know, I'm big on mindset. Mindset's extremely important, but mindset alone is not going to do it. Taking action with an amazing mindset, with an abundance mindset, with a positive mindset is way better than taking no action. But even taking action with a negative mindset is still taking action. Might not get the results you want exactly, but you're going to change something. Something's going to change. That's for sure. Because you're taking action. So like Brian was saying, do a day. He's basically just saying, just make the decision to do that one simple step that one day. Then do it the next day. Then do it the next day. And each day you're going to get better in your habits. Each day you're going to get better in your push-ups. Each day you're going to run a little bit further. You're going to eat a little bit better. You're going to do better playing guitar. Whatever it is that you're doing, take a day, then take another day. Take a step, then take another step. It doesn't matter how big the step is. You just have to take the step. All right, guys, I hope that's been helpful for you. Share this with everybody else that you care about and let them get in on some of this as well. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.